opportunity this week. But this morning, we want to focus on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful this morning that you led the Apostle Paul to write these words, to speak to us on this day, so many years later. And we ask now that the Holy Spirit will take these words, speak to our hearts and minds, and help us, Father, to learn from them what you would have for us to learn. And then, Lord, to take these words with us as we leave today and to live them each day. Bless us in our time together today, we ask. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to show you several lessons about prayer from this, what Charles Stanley calls the perfect prayer. First, be persistent when you pray. Be persistent. In verse 9, Paul says he did not cease to pray for the Colossian Christians. If you go back to verse 3, he said he prays always for them. There are a number of places in the Bible where the Bible talks about persistence in prayer, continuing to pray. For instance, in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I took Greek in seminary. I about decided God had called me to drive a truck. But... Um, but I learned that the Greek tense of those words were keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on searching. Don't stop to pray. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus told a parable in order that people always ought to pray and to not lose heart. In Romans 12, 12, Paul called on the Romans to continue steadfastly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he also said that Christians were to pray without ceasing over and over and over again, you read about the importance of persistence in prayer. So when you pray, don't give up. Don't give up. Even if it seems there's no answer in sight. Or maybe you've been in a situation, most of us I think have probably been here, where you have prayed about something so much that you really don't know what to pray anymore. You ever been there? You have prayed so much and so long that you're not sure if you should even bother anymore. And I would encourage you, keep praying. Be persistent in your prayer. Second, pray for the knowledge of God's will. In verse 9, Paul's prayer was the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. When you're not sure what to pray about in any situation, you can always pray that God will show you his will for your life. When you're going through something bad and you can't figure out why it's happening, you can't come to terms with why you're going through what you're going through, and you're not sure what to pray for and what to ask for anymore. Maybe you've come to the place where you're not even sure where God is. Is he still there? Is he still working? Is he still active? Ask him to show you his will. When things are going well in your life, here's something we have to guard against, isn't it? 
We stop praying when things are going well. Oh, it's easy to pray when things are bad. When things are bad, that's a simple one. We're going to pray. It's when things are going well sometimes that we begin to get this idea that we don't need to pray quite as much anymore because after all, everything is good. Well, that's one of the times that you really need to pray. Ask God for his will so that you will know what to do next in your life. No matter what's happening in anyone's life at any given time, one of the very best things you can ask is for God to show you his will. You might not fully understand God's nature at that moment. You might not fully understand what God is up to. You may not be able to explain what's going on with God, but you still need his leading on your life even if you don't understand him. You need to know what he's up to and you need to pray that he'll guide you. And ask for this knowledge in abundance. Notice that Paul's request for the people was to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The word fill here means to cause to abound, to furnish liberally, to render full. Ask God to pour so much knowledge of his will into your life that it just flows out of you. I think in all the questions that I was asked during my years as a pastor, 33 total between the two churches that God allowed me to work in, one of the top two or three questions that I've been asked all through the years is, how can I figure out what God's will is? How do I know? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know what's the right decision? How do I know what's the best thing? How do I know what I should or shouldn't do? How do I know? Well, it starts with prayer. Ask him. Ask him. That's where you start. Third, pray that you'll be able to live out what God reveals to you. In verse 10, Paul's prayer was that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord after they receive the knowledge of his will. That word walk in the New Testament typically refers to a person's lifestyle, how they live, what they do, how they act. That's the message here. The aim of knowing God's will is more than just knowledge. Oftentimes we say, well, I need to know God's will. But it's more than just knowing God's will. It's whether or not you're going to do God's will. Knowing God's will is more about knowledge. It's about obedience. What good will it do you to know the will of God if you don't do it? How's that going to help you? Parents, my guess is you've had conversations with your children that go something like this through the years. You know you weren't supposed to do that. Why did you do it anyway? You know. You know that if you did it, you were going to get in trouble. And you did it anyway. How many times have I told you not to do it? Sound familiar? And if the child you're talking to is a boy, the answer you're going to go back is, oh no. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, is what it is. What can I tell you? You know, it's not, not my fault. You see, the issue with your children is not a lack of information. It is not that they didn't know. If my father had pulled that car over as many times as he threatened to, we would have never gotten anywhere. Boy, don't make me pull this car over. And see, having the smart aleck gene that I have, my answer always was, yes, sir, I'm not going to make you do anything. You just go, you go right on down or, uh, you know. Yeah. It's not information. That's not the problem. It's using the information in the right way. Well, it works the same way for us where God's will is concerned. When he reveals his will to us, then we need to do it. James 1.22 says we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. 
And I think you could just about fill in, be doers of his will and not hearers only. When you do this, when you walk worthy of the Lord, when you live out his will in your life, then you will be pleasing to him. What's the first thing you would like to hear Jesus say to you when you get to heaven? Yeah, most people will answer, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm just praying he doesn't look at me and say, what are you doing here? <laughs> that, that would make me badly nervous, you know what I mean? Who, who let you in? You know, that would scare me. Now, the thing that we want to hear most when we stand before Jesus, I think most people would say, we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. The only way that will happen is for you to do his will in your life. When you do what he calls you to do, when you do what he asks you to do, when you do what he has gifted you to do, that's when you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Which leads us to number four. Pray for spiritual maturity. In verse 10, Paul also prays that they will be fruitful in every good work. As Christians, we are called on to bear fruit. Our lives need to be lived in such a way that we're not just empty marking time from this day until the day that we die. There are a lot of us, I'm afraid, some time to do that, especially after we get saved. We get saved and we think, well, that's all there is to this. I've got it made now. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And so we just kind of mark time until that day gets here. But that's not how we're supposed to live. That's not how this is supposed to work. We're supposed to produce fruit in our lives. That's how people will know that we belong to Christ. They'll see it in us. That's what the Bible says when a tree will be known by its fruit. How do you identify a tree? By the fruit that it produces. How do you identify a person? By the fruit that they produce. That is why, brothers and sisters, even though we are not saved by our works, our works are still vitally important in our lives. This is always something that people struggle with. Well, you say that I'm not saved by my, by my works, then therefore what difference do my works make? Well, your works are the way that people identify you. Because here's what I'm sure you've probably figured out by now. If what you do does not match what you say, most of the time people are going to pay more attention to what you do. They're not going to listen to what you say if what you do doesn't match. We need spiritual maturity in our words. We also need to spiritually mature through having an increased knowledge of God. The more we know about him, the more we will understand how to respond to the different life situations that we're going to face. And the more we will be able to help others as they go through the same types of things. That's why it's important for us to study our Bibles. All of us have multiple Bibles in this country, most of us. And we have them all over the place. I remember a story once of pastor came to visit in a home and your mom was tidying everything up. She was getting everything picked up and everything, getting everything ready to go. And she made sure that the Bible was laying on the coffee table for the pastor to see when he came in. And as they were chit-chatting everything, one of the children came through the room and she looked at the child and she said, Darling, do me a favor and go get me the book that you know Mama loves so well. He went and got People magazine. <laughs> Doesn't do any good to have it if you're not going to open and read it. You know what I'm saying? And so it's important that we read and study His Word. That's how we grow in the knowledge of God. Read your Bibles. Read good books. Listen to good preaching. Grow in what you know about God. 
Fifth, when you pray, ask to be filled with his strength. Verse 11. Life is tough. We all know that. Life can be very, very difficult at times. Have you seen the t-shirts and all the other uh, apparel with the little man on it and it says life is good? Have you seen those? I have one of those. The little man is lying in a hammock between two palm trees because that's my speed. I like that. I'm a beach person. Everybody has a place. Mine is the beach and the idea of lying in a hammock between two palm trees. Give me a moment if you would. What a marvelous thing that would be, huh? To be able to just spend life like that. That's how I'm trying to make my, my retirement. Somebody asked me not long ago, how is it being retired? I said, it's great. I said, the most strenuous thing I do is try to figure out which door the big deal is behind on Let's Make a Deal. That's the hardest thing I do day in and day out. We know that life is good, but I'm telling you, sometimes life can also be hard. Life can be very difficult. And so you're going to need the strength of God to get through it. Look at the source of the strength we need. It's the strength that comes from the glorious power of God. Not our own strength, but the strength of Almighty God. That's a strength that will always be enough, and it will always be available. He is omnipotent. You hear that word, and that word means all-powerful. That means he is stronger than anything we will ever face, and it means that that power will never run out. It will never go away. It will also always be there for us. And then finally, when you come to the end of your prayer, always finish with thanksgiving, verse 12. Now, a lot of times you hear that and you're going, wait, 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 wait. End with thanksgiving. Really? You just talked about, about, about how bad life can be. And you want me to be th thankful in that. Well, yeah. Paul reminds us that we can always give thanks to God for this reason. For allowing us to come into his light. Through Jesus, God delivers us from the domain, the world, the control of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom where Jesus Christ is Lord. No matter what we may go through, we always have a reason for thanksgiving when we pray. No matter how upset we may be because a request was not granted. No matter how angry we may be at God because something didn't turn out like we wanted it to. No matter how confused we may be when we're in the middle of something that we just don't get. Since God has allowed us to come into the light of his love and forgiveness, we always have a reason to be thankful. Back around 2006, I did some postgraduate work at Liberty University. And one of my classes met at Heritage Baptist Church in Lynchburg. Dr. Jerry Kroll, the church's pastor, told us a story. He told us the story of his son Brian, who was born with hemophilia the blood clotting disease. Dr. Kroll talked about how he and his wife had had one and only one prayer while she was pregnant with him. Oh God, please don't let him have hemophilia. And yet he did. He told us about how mad he was with God after they found out that their son was sick. He said he just didn't understand how God would let him be a hemophiliac after they had prayed so hard for that one thing. Oh God, don't let him have hemophilia. And yet he did. He said he even questioned if the Bible was real and if God even existed. 
He said he was so angry and so put out with God. But then he said there was one other thing that he just did not understand. He said he never understood how God could save a sinner like him. He said that was the one fact of life that he could never get beyond, that God had saved him. He was to be the guest speaker at a church and didn't know if he could with what he was going through with the feelings he had and the thoughts that were running through his mind. He didn't know if he could. So he said he sat in the parking lot of the church and finally told God that even though he did not like the fact that Brian had been born with hemophilia, he knew God loved him and that he would never doubt again. Brian, his son, died at the age of 20. But Dr. Cole said he still trusted God because the one thing he could not escape, the one fact that he could not get away from, was that God had saved him. So you see, no matter what you're going on in your life, and obviously I, I, I know a few of you, but I don't know most of you, and so therefore I have no way as I stand up here to know what you're going through in your life. I don't have the slightest idea what you brought with you into this room this morning. I don't know. What I do know is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have experienced a love that is beyond anything else that anybody can explain because you have experienced the grace, the mercy, and the love of Almighty God. And that gives you a reason to end every prayer with thanksgiving. Charles Stanley referred to this as the perfect prayer. It is certainly one that if you will consider the principles it teaches, it can have a great impact and unleash great power into your life. I would encourage you to mark this place in your scripture. Mark your place in there so you can find it easily, however you want to do that. But use it as a prayer to serve as another model. You know, there are several places where we're taught how to pray in scripture. Add this one to your list. And let it help you learn more how to pray. Would you join me as we do just that now? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have to begin today by just thanking you for the privilege to pray. Lord, every time I think about the fact that my prayers are going to the very throne of heaven and the God of this universe hears me, I am absolutely amazed. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. And Lord, I pray for myself and for each one of us in this room and for others that you would help us, oh God, to come to the place where we trust in you no matter what and whatever we may be facing in our life, that we will handle it with prayer as we come before you. And Lord, help us to pray the kind of prayer that Paul records for us in this book. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God called me to preach in the 1980s. Kevin mentioned the fact that I, my first church was in Franklin County, North Carolina, just north of Raleigh. And when God called me to preach and when God called me to that church back in 1987, I made him a promise. I'm not 100% sure that I've kept it 100% of the time, but I have done my best that every time I preach, I will close my message with an invitation. And so if you don't mind, I owe God more than I owe you and so therefore, I want to fulfill my promise to him. If you're going to have the kind of prayer life that we've talked about this morning in your life, it must begin by having 
of relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus said that no man comes to the Father except through him. And so you've got to know Christ if you're going to have this kind of prayer life. The way you do that, you have to begin by confessing your sin before God because you will not ask God to forgive you of anything you're not willing to confess. You need to believe who Jesus is, the Son of God, who died on a cross to pay the price for your sin because all of us are guilty and we can't pay for our own sin. Jesus paid that price for it. You need to put your faith in him. That doesn't mean that you believe the story is true or that you believe Jesus is real. It goes beyond that. This is asking God to forgive you of your sin through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross because God is never going to send another Savior. He's never going to accept another Savior. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And then when you receive him into your life, you begin to live for him. You get in his footsteps and you walk. I said a minute ago that the beach is my place. Everybody has a place. Mine is the beach. And one of the things I love to watch is to see kids when their parents walk through the wet sand and you see little kids come behind them and try to step in their footprints. They'll do it a lot of times when it snows. You know, you see kids walk in their parents' footprints. That's exactly what it means to repent and to live for Christ. It means to turn away from your life, get in his footprints, and walk in them for the rest of your life. If you make that decision in your life today, God has promised he will forgive you of your sins and you'll be able to have the kind of relationship with him that we've talked about this morning. If you're ready to make that decision in your life, you need somebody to talk to. Or if there's something going on in your life you need to talk to somebody about and you need somebody to pray with you about, Brother Kevin's going to come and stand here at the front. And you're invited to come as we sing. Would you stand please as Jonathan leads us?